You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. to episode 21 of the Unsung Podcast. On the last episode, we were speaking about Jupiter by Caven, and as expected, it was an overwhelming yes, so that song has been voted into our discography. Thank you very much to everybody who voted. On this episode, we're talking about the Phoenician Snares record, which is called Rosie Selag Alat Suzeletet, I think. I don't know Hungarian very well, so I've probably just butchered that. But yeah, language translation is Born Under a Bad Star which is a lot easier to remember, frankly. Anyway, we hope you enjoy this. Listen to the Unsung Podcast. <laughs> I am your host, Mark Fraser, and I'm joined by our by two really fabulous gentlemen. Big entrance, Mark. Big entrance. <laughs> uh, to my right is Mr. Chris Cusack. He is full of beans. He's called the Bean Man, Bean Monster. That's Dr. how he's Beanstie. known around Glasgow. There's the old bean beanster, the beanstonator. <laughs> to my left <laughs> is Dave, who's drinking protein shakes full of protein. <clears throat> compliment the extra protein that he's been imbibing for the last week. That's me. Just to get himself all beefed up for this. I'm a proteinager. This energetic podcast that we're going to do, which is about the music of the artist currently known as Venetian Snares. Fantastic. Seamless. Is that what you can pronounce? Because <laughs> there's a hell of a lot more difficult stuff coming up now, Christopher. This, this, How does one pronounce the name of this record? Uh, I'd like to apologise in advance for our Hungarian listeners. Because uh, I believe this album is pronounced Rosk Silag Alat Suletit. I'm not going to lie, guys. I have literally just written track one, track two in my notes because I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to try and mangle the Hungarian language. Yeah, I mean, there's very, very little chance that anyone's going to query what David just said. Until we crack hungry. <laughs> we have no Hungarian fans so far. And well, maybe maybe they're expats. Yet, so I've already cracked hungry. <laughs> and that's the kind of banner you pay for. I tell, you, I tell you what, we have cracked Sri Lanka. We have cracked Sri Lanka. How are you Lanka. doing, guys? Three listeners in Sri Lanka. I thought it was five. Five, sorry. It's three in five. Pakistan. Sorry, boys. Great. Hello to our uh, Central Lanka, Asian and South Asian listeners. listeners. That, that one Russian listener as well. Thanks for joining us. 
Tusen kostar dika. Hopefully a real person. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> there are no real people in Russia. It's just completely populated by fake accounts. I've now. never met a Russian. Have you? <laughs> um, well, I've seen people, the flat earthers believe that Australia doesn't exist. And I was like, well, I've been where there. Where did you but, go? Well, apparently all the pilots are in on it and they take you to the part of South America that's dressed up to look like Australia. <laughs> That, do you know what's do you know what's more improbable than that? Dress down. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. There's one thing more improbable than that, and it is a breakbeat artist and a record for classical music samples. Well, yeah, exactly. Same why is it this guy wants to get out of here? Nice why? <laughs> Segway. <laughs> but I don't understand why it's not been done before or since, or at least as well. But I suppose uh, I might have a theory. But carry uh-huh. on. Okay. <laughs> so um, let me tell you about this record. Uh, this record is about is by Venetian Snares who is a break core and uh, electronic dance artist let's not skip past the fact that the guy's name is Aaron Funk Aaron Funk he is I mean when your your name's Aaron Funk and yet he puts on a he has a nickname I don't understand that's like in uh, Rocky 5 and Sylvester Sloan is older and it's his son that's fighting and he has a protege called Tommy Gunn that's right, yeah. But for some reason, he calls himself... He's He's been given by God a nickname there, but he calls himself Tommy the Machine Gun. So what he's done is insert a nickname into his name, which completely ruins it in every way. See, I really wish you hadn't said that, because until now, that film was practically flawless. Well, exactly, <laughs> I know. It's the peak of the Rocky... Uh, uh, Pinnacle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Can I just say, this guy's done a lot of stuff. So... We've done quite a few records now, and I think... This number 20. Is this the 20th record we've done? Yeah, maybe. And I'm trying to think, what what's like the latest in a discography we've done so far? This is their 15th album. Um, so this came out in 2005, but Aaron Funk had been making music for a long time, obviously heavy, heavily influenced by stuff like Aphex Twin and... Um, Square Pusher? Square Pusher, yeah, definitely. And obviously, you know, drum and bass, breakbeat, things like that. How does the timeline line up with regards to Square Pusher? Because I know, obviously, Aphex Twin's been going quite a while, but I'm not entirely sure when Square Pusher was on the scene. But there are definitely obvious comparisons to be made. Uh, yeah, I mean, Square Pusher was piling through stuff sort of late 90s. And then his Hello Everything, which because Square Pusher is like an unbelievable like, basis, like Insane. ridiculous like neoclassical yeah. stuff. And in actual fact, Hello Everything came out maybe the same year as this, actually. Mm. Um, Big year for that kind of stuff. Yeah, which was like way more jazzy. I think we're going to end up speaking Square Pusher at some point anyway. Seems yeah. like a, a likely yeah, protocol. He's a, yeah, he's definitely an influence on Venetian Snares. So much like this show, this album is high NRG. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't hide the fact that you're a, an old school raver there. Yes. <laughs> This this album was uh, my suggestion, um, and it, I think it's quite different from anything we've done so far. Uh, how did you guys feel about it? I've never heard this record before, and uh-huh. I thought it was pretty banging. Um, the only thing is, well, yeah, just just the you know cards on the table. Uh-huh. I think it's quite dated, and it made me think about the genre of breakcore and drum and bass and jungle uh, yeah. in general as a sound that I think has dated quite badly. Mm. 
I don't know if that was a product of technology at the time. I mean, it certainly was something that was happening way back in like 70s and 80s where people were starting to play like sections of like James Brown, you know, records on repeat to try and create these kind of drum textures that were not just typical timed beats. Yeah. But in terms of its sort of zenith, um, was around this era, like we're saying. And uh, I do feel that the sound has aged somewhat. I think the the instrumentation in this and the use of the classical samples is fantastic. I really yeah. like it. There's some brilliant synth sounds in it. There's some really, really interesting and dark arrangements. But I think the drum motifs throughout it which are obviously a huge part of Venetian snare sound yeah I think they age it and um that, that's interesting because I'd never really thought about it in that way um so I do think it's a really strong record but I think it's also very much of its time yeah and I think you can really hear the kind of era it was made in when you listen to it yeah no that's interesting hearing you say that because I listened to it like the year it came out um so I for me it's aged to when I first remember it so listening to it with fresh ears has kind of been impossible for me. So that yeah, that's interesting. Um, Mark, what did you think? I think um, I had not. I have no experience in this game music whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't even entirely sure what to expect when I first started listening to it. I thought it was going to be hard for me to get into. You know, when the big beats hit and mm-hmm. all the cool classical music's been chopped up and it's, the synths and stuff come in, I thought, "Fuck, I'm, I'm going to struggle with this." But I found myself getting more and more into it. You know, as it went on, I was really starting to enjoy the. I think it's interesting. I don't know if it's interesting generally, but the interesting way you would chop up lots of really cool older classical music samples and then overlay them with explosive sounding, almost anarchic kind of yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, I made a note uh, some of the samples as well. It's like, it's really interesting some of the things he chose as well. They must have, like, they work well, but I, I can only assume he spent quite a while sort of fishing around mm-hmm. for the sort of stuff he wanted to use. There's uh, Fourth String Quartet by Bartok on the second track. Uh, there's, uh, was it? Three Pieces for Clarinet by Stravinsky. There's uh, the Seventh Caprice by Paganini. They're both in track five. Yeah, there's, there's some there's an there. tune, uh, yeah, Cello Concerto E uh, in track eight. names that even as someone that doesn't listen to a lot of classical music you're familiar with and mm. it's really interesting to see what he's or to hear what he's done with those uh, bits of music it's and the parts of the album where the for me where the drums aren't in are actually some of the highlights i think yeah, i would agree um mm. they're, they're it's, it's a really really inventive album how does it compare though to his other catalog because i i i saw that this was something of a a concept album, albeit a pretty ludicrous concept. Yeah. I mean, imagine themselves as a pigeon yeah, on the, exactly. the, 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 the Royal came, Palace in Budapest. Because he's from uh, Winnipeg in Canada, actually. Mm. So, And a lot of his stuff is inspired by how apparently bleak Winnipeg is. And in fact, his the album before this, uh, was, which was his 14th album, <laughs> was called uh, Winnipeg is a Frozen Shithole. <laughs> so that, so uh, good, good eye for a name, yeah. Um, but yeah, like a lot of his stuff before was just sort of 
basically drum samples and synths and stuff like that but like none of it had this sort of breadth of sampling and this sort of just the ideas that were in this i think the use of the classical composers kind of yeah. marries up with the fact that supposedly the inspiration for this i think a lot of the writing was done when he was on a trip to hungary mm-hmm. um like an extended trip to hungary hence the imagining he was a pigeon on budapest royal palace but it makes sense i think when you're in europe and especially eastern europe you know, to, to reference some of the, the greatest classical composers to come out of those. those yeah, areas. definitely. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, it definitely adds a sort of cultured feel to the record. Um, and also with like the artwork as well is even like quite uh, thematic and quite sort of classical. Um, whereas a lot of his uh, other stuff is quite absurd. He's obviously got like a sort of weird sense of humour. Yeah, when you're so, chucking out like six albums a year, you probably get to a point where you're pretty flippant with the artwork. I mean, yeah, exactly. Frank Zappa. Like his first, his first record was uh, Split and it was just called Eat Shit and Die. <laughs> uh, and then he's like got, like, album, he's got like the Chocolate Wheelchair album, uh, Cavalcade of Glee and Dadaist Happy Hardcore Pom Poms. Um, <laughs> but basically the, he kind of released a sequel to this album a couple of years later called My Downfall original soundtrack because it was soundtrack for a film that didn't exist but it it also incorporated a lot of classical samples but it didn't quite it was actually way more ambient and didn't go as crazy as this then a lot of his other stuff is just way more i mean you say straightforward straightforward for this genre which is absolutely ridiculously you know samp um uh, program drums and stuff like that that sort of melts the brain a little bit when you listen to it it was interesting actually because as you could probably tell it's not a genre of a lot of grounding in um apart from some of the more high profile acts so just like going back and learning a wee bit about the the development of the different styles like breakbeat became breakbeat hardcore which sort of subdivided again into things like jungle and into things like drum and bass, which was seen as being like slightly darker, uh, but more complex in terms of the mm-hmm. rhythms that were getting used. But then the whole thing evolved again with the advances that were made in digital technology and in software, yep. because that enabled them to then do like sampled breakbeat, which was all, the breakbeats were actually getting pitch shifted and time stretched in real time. And he does a lot of that in this. And it's actually, that's some of the coolest stuff, you know, where you hear the drum beats being modulated and warped. Yeah, absolutely. As they're playing. And that was like something that hit me straight away when I first heard it. So I, I heard this back in first year of uni and my pal who was into, I don't know, his favourite band was Seeger Ross, but he also, I don't know, he just was had... Was he really born? No, he was <laughs> re- a really, really nice guy, but um, he just had a few <laughs> um, obtuse records that he like played. This was one of them. He just put it on in the kitchen. And, you know, the way the album slowly builds up with just the classical samples and you're like, oh, I'm not sure what this is going to be like. And you're maybe thinking it could be some, if it's electronic, maybe it's going to be sort of trip hoppy, you know, DJ shadowy type stuff. And then all of a sudden, you know, these breakbeats come out of nowhere, like the way that the that snare sample, the snare is like modulated all the way up mm-hmm. and down and it... He bends it down on the end of a lot of beats. So you yeah. Get yeah. Kind of effect. It's really cool. Like, I just never heard anything like that before. You know, I'd heard, you know, some Aphex Twin and, and stuff like that, but mostly his sort of earlier stuff 
and then his more mainstream stuff, which is just like really interesting electronic stuff. But I'd never heard somebody just use the drums as an instrument like this. And yeah, clearly through software. Um, it's a really fascinating ju- uh, juxtaposition to take something quite baroque, like, like classical mm. music, something quite ornate and analog, and to then, you know, splice it with this very digitized, very processed, very rapid barrage yep. of, of, of drum chunks. It's this weird sort of cyborg in a Sherlock Holmes kind of costume thing. It's, it's, it's a really strange mix, but it, it works really nicely. I mean, I, I say it works really nicely. It does work really nicely. I think it's dated. I think this type of drums that are put over it aged, but the actual concept is still really interesting. And as I say, I think the what was done with the backing music is still very fresh. Yeah, 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 exactly. I hope you are enjoying what you are hearing. I, I am not enjoying what I'm hearing because I'm only hearing things through one ear because my headphones don't work, the uh, headphone amp doesn't work, my head's all gone weird because it's only coming out of one side. He's got temporary pool deafness. I, yeah, I, don't, I have no idea what's happening here. So if you would like to save my brain, uh, then please just... Uh, it's a, it's you, a big ass. <laughs> I know, it might be too late for that. But you can donate a little bit of cash... Uh, however much you feel is uh, my brain is worth at unsungpod.net slash donate anything helps to get some headphones that work I feel so unbalanced it's all coming out to the left so it's like my politics it's lean I know. oh yeah thanks well. I mean, Venetian Snares has been trying lots and lots of different stuff in the sort of breakbeat and breakcore genres. But with this record, he found, I think he just sort of nailed that mesh of genres that totally, totally worked. Because I think there were, there were a lot of producers doing similar things in different genres. So there was like people like Bongra, who's like also another amazingly talented guy, but he was doing it down a more sort of like dubby way. And then there was people like Shitmat, uh, DJ Scotch Egg mm-hmm. he's a, a classic of the break uh, core genre that was like way more like sort of happy hardcore and trancy stuff yeah, pretty full on that guy right? yeah so it's like everybody was like just trying their own things these are all like just people in their like basements like just fucking about and seeing oh, try to find their own sound it's that thing when new technology comes out as well it's like it's exactly. fascinating like, we've encountered that a few times in, in different episodes so there's like a new technology and there's a glut of people with like these new ideas and quite yeah. often from those new ideas and that glut there are some of the classic albums where people have really like through like you say stumbling about trying to find a sound have just done something quite special yeah and i don't think i like he's done really interesting stuff since um you don't think no i do i do <laughs> think he's done really interesting stuff but i just don't think he's found that sound again or captured the energy that he had in this record and maybe it was because of that trip that he had and, you know, maybe the way that he's got the, you know, the the voices. It just, for me, this is like, a, it sounds like a really organic record, even though it's obviously so digitally produced. I don't know, yeah, it's just really natural sounding uh, somehow, whereas a lot of the stuff, you're just like, yeah, I can tell this was made in a basement. It reminds me of uh, DJ Shadows introducing in that sense. It yeah. feels very organic and played, even though it, it, cl- it clearly isn't. And I suppose you know? maybe that's because you're using real analogue instruments and, you know, like, 
like that, whereas a lot of other guys will be just using, you know, brand new samples or whatever. We've so. spoken about that before, though, like some hip hop records, they might use like actual organic, like analog samples, mm-hmm. and it still doesn't come, it can still often not come across as being played. You know, and one thing that's kind of, I kept wondering about this record is given given how pro- prolific he is, I can't imagine the amount of work that Muscle into went into this, not just like the research aspect of finding records, but actually the chopping them up and the actually, you know, finding drums and synth parts that actually work with it. Yeah. Like, how do you find time to do that, <laughs> that concept, and then release it like an art? It's a labour of love, man. Records, that's, that's, you know I mean? Those like, musicians that go, you know, they go into that place and just stay there until they've created something that they're proud of. I mean, or, or this, sorry, this guy's rate of output decreased as his career went on he went from doing like six albums a year to doing less as he got to this stage but yep. to be able to do, the quality then increased because he's able to sort of they became less throwaway he was investing more time in each one and it, i mean I, I imagine it's pretty consuming but that's how a lot of people work best you know it's when they're really shut away focusing working on something really and it it must be quite labor intensive but you know the people that want to do it that way they understand that from the outset I think that they're they're like I'm going to put the time in because that way it sounds like me as opposed to just sounding like a bunch of generic samples slung onto a, a MIDI file. Yeah, I think what a, an interesting part of this whole genre and uh, Venetian snares was uh, a key part of it was when it was first starting in the sort of early two thousands. A lot of how the genre gained momentum was early file sharing and peer to peer stuff. So it was producers in basements and bedrooms just around the world that were you know totally cut off apart from the internet and using new uh, peer-to-peer technology sharing their stuff and then finding listenerships through you know through that um and i suppose that would have spurred people on uh you know hearing that producers just shared that track and it's like oh i'm going better that one yeah well, so it's, apparently this well, I say apparently. I was just trying to gauge some of the kind of critical reaction, and people credit this with largely popularizing breakcore within electronic yeah. music. And the critical reaction is pretty strong, and I mean, it's it's generally regarded as his best work. Yeah, from what I can see, and the reception when it came out, there were a lot of you know um, superlatives used to describe it. I mean, it seems like it was valued in its time. Yeah, I think it was a sort of defining record in that it was one that maybe broke out of the that sort of niche genre mm-hmm. and people paid attention to him and as him as an artist but also as the genre as a, on a whole and said oh there's it's maybe more than niche there's maybe something you know to offer and i think it's definitely be, been an influential record and genre it may not be in full swing anymore much like something like dubstep as well mm-hmm. dubstep was very similar maybe a couple of years later but you know that that was a sort of very underground scene and then they found noises that nobody heard before you know with their new technologies and then all of a sudden you're hearing it on adverts and stuff like that here's a question right so electronic music obviously is somewhat younger creature than rock music Mm. guitar based music right and guitar based music as we know i mean has gone through numerous cycles now of you know original sound retro sound retro second wave retro third wave i mean you've seen it with the 80s stuff now which seems to happen every two or three years yeah we've seen it with grunge we've seen it with metal we've seen it with all kinds of things because electronic music is so much more technologically dependent yeah do you think it'll go through the same phases of retro or do you think it once it's yeah, dated it, i mean it's like having like an old nokia 3200 you know that is it going to be like 
oh, it's cool to do breakbeat again at some point. No, I think, I mean, I think it is because I think it already is going through those uh, cycles. Like, for instance, two or three years ago, like Glasgow is obviously a hotbed for electronic music right now with folk like Rusty and Hudson Mohawk and stuff like that, like really pushing boundaries. But they are really open to acknowledging the, the influence of the stuff like happy hardcore and, you know, trance and stuff oh, like that. The influence, but would they bring out like a breakcore album at some point? That's what I'm saying. Like, do you think, you know, in the same way as like Garage Rock, for example, went through that horrible renaissance around Jet and the D, D4, D7, D whatever. Yeah, yeah. D12. Like, D, D whatever. <laughs> Um, like in the same way as those renaissances happen in guitar music and pop music and indie music, do you think they'll happen to the same extent electronic music? Because it is so much. I mean, it will sound technologically dated. Yeah, um, I mean, there's certainly there's stuff coming up out right right now that are it's making use of analog stuff and a sort of lo-fi sound. Like the one that springs to my head right now is uh, DJ Seinfeld. Uh, brilliant name. I, I, yeah, I was like, it sounds like a joke name, but then like. His record last year was just absolutely incredible. And it's got this really analogy, lo-fi, 90s rave, but very self-aware as well. So I think when electronic music does it, it maybe does it in a far more, I don't know, yeah, a far more self-aware way of doing it. I think that's just, really true. Because I'm kind of answering my own question, I'm on ahead here, because thinking about it, there is a whole glut of 80s synthwave stuff you well, know, yeah, exactly. You know, totally, the, yeah. there's the the whole vaporwave synthwave kind of thing mm-hmm. that's 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 huge in it, but it's very self-aware. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Whole thrust of it is like everybody's nodding and everybody's like, "Yeah, we know what's happening here. But, We're all in the same." And page. a lot of the time, that is all uh, done online and it's producers showing stuff to each other online yeah. whereas if that was rock and bands and soundtracks as well a big part of that yeah. was the, the soundtrack renaissance like like going for the 80s film yeah. sort of romance and along with that for the ride was the, the music romance you know and that was that was kind of whereas maybe guys in bands uh, just go down at the pub and think oh maybe we could just do you know yeah. they don't they don't have that online modern I, yeah I don't yeah. know I mean I think like there's, there's obviously there's a crowd thing as well bands like Beak Jeff mm-hmm. Barrow of the said his band Beak are very much stripping it back to like old synths very very simple sounds and there's there's definitely an audience there for that stuff as well and it sounds for all intents and purposes like it came from like the late 60s early 70s yeah um, a lot of time I'm just not so sure that stuff like breakbeat stuff and drum and bass and there's something a bit clumsier and more high tech about it at the time. I don't know if it's going to translate into that second wave the same yeah. way. Yeah. I don't know if it has that same sort of like naive charm that the the other ones have. It'll be interesting to see if it happens. Put it that way. Yeah. We yeah, kind no, of touched I, on that a wee bit with Depeche Mode as well, didn't we? Like when they were making particularly Violator, they were obviously on the cutting edge. Mm. They were doing stuff that's never really been done before. They were they were discovering shit in the studio and then it did age really quickly. It still sounds good to, the, to this day, but conversely... It's of an era. Yeah, nobody's coming back to that sound, you know, and not, not, in, not in the same kind of sense. Uh, some people probably are, man. I, I mean, I think a lot of pop artists currently, they'll sample that kind of stuff and maybe play around with it. Now, if you look at the 
retail prices for some of those old synths, man. Yeah. Some people want them bad, you know. Exactly, but it's not as again. It can't, I guess it comes down to the way technology is also utilized because when it's recorded now, it's recorded completely differently. Yeah, that, that's music in general. Though, yeah. You're right. I mean, music in general is different. so heavily processed yeah. now. Like mm. we expect it to be heavily processed now. We almost you almost think an album has wasted an opportunity if it's not completely compressed to a, to a rectangle. You know, it, it's there is a a real culture for that. I think you're you're putting a cap on your audience totally. the minute you decide if you're not going to approach yeah. it in that kind of commercial way. I think, I think like, there's some really interesting sort of bits and bobs around this album that were worth mentioning. I mean, that, like talking about retro and go back, I mean, Venetian Snares or Aaron Funk had really put in the time to his craft early on. There was some very interesting stuff about how he started, mm-hmm. where he had multiple ghetto blasters set up playing cassettes of like field recordings that he'd made he apparently used yeah. to cycle about and just tape samples of stuff and I know like a lot of musicians still use a lot of field recordings but he was basically putting them on these multiple ghetto blasters playing them recording them on another ghetto blaster then making multiple tapes in that same way but then playing all of those and recording them on a multiple ghetto <laughs> via multiple ghetto blasters on another ghetto blaster so he was kind of exponentially condensing the sound and ending up with this really complicated music through a very lo-fi, mm. you know, channel, like he was using what he had at the time. Supposedly, <laughs> the technical, the the technological kind of breakthrough that he then progressed onto was a Commodore Amiga five hundred, mm. which is just fantastic <laughs> when you consider I was using it for meth and impossible mission. But uh, on myth, I thought you said meth. For no, not for meth. No, no, no. That was, that was later. That was the six hundred plus with the shortened keyboard. <laughs> hey, that guy. That's that's what my parents got. I was like, what you doing? What you doing? IK plus. There was a game. Anyway, that's because I'm so old. <laughs> I had a co- I had an Amiga as well. Did you? Sensible, sensible world of soccer, mate. Is that ironic? No. <laughs> I was I was very young. You said last week it. that you were a millennial. You can't be a millennial and also have a Commodore Amiga 500. Make up your mind. I I did have one. I was I, I got one the same time the NES and stuff was out though. I never had like a, a one second. No millennial remembers the NES. I had no the SNES, but I remember the NES. That is literally the criteria for millennial. Like you hold up a NES controller, you're like, what is this? A millennial is someone that was born between 1980 and something else. I can't remember on our date. <laughs> you're, a, you're a millennial, you're a late millennial, Chris. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even clinging on to that. You what? I'm a Gen- Thatcherite? Generation X. <laughs> I don't know what. Um, but yeah, so there was some really, like, there was a bunch of really interesting trivia around that, including like where he came from. Because he, he he performed under a number of aliases as well, didn't he? They had like Last Step, Snares Man, Speed Dealer Moms. Dealer mums. Yeah. I know which one for your scanty from the from the Shirley's. Was it? Is that true? Yeah. That is mind blowing. You know he's not got a palate in the top of his mouth because he did so much heroin. Who's this? Don't feel scanty from the Shirley's. Really? Bushanti. Bushanti. Let's, let's just chuck it out of there. I think so. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're pronouncing Hungarian badly, but I don't know if we can not pronounce <laughs> the guy from one of the world's biggest rock bands. Not anymore. <laughs> in terms of like this album itself, coming at it fresh. It was pretty overwhelming. There's a lot going on. There's something that's pretty dense. As you say, there's some patient build-ups, but there's some really, mm-hmm. really saturated stuff in it. It kind of eddies away and then comes back and it's quite difficult to sort of chart it all yeah. without a lot of listening time. But I suppose were, what I've had is I've had 13 years of this record, so I know I yeah. kind of know it inside yeah. out. But yeah. what, what I remember was hearing it for the first time and just being totally drawn to it because I'd never heard anything like it. And I suppose... That was 13 years ago, and now you've probably heard things that have been influenced by it. But when I heard it, I just like I'd I'd never heard electronic music so heavy, so crystal clear, and yet so sort of punishing as well. Mm. 
Yeah, it's, it's really it's, it's got pummeling. It, I think yeah, it, it's yeah. got beautiful, fragile moments, and you know you've got that girl's voice talking about the pigeon, and you know, and being bizarre. alone and stuff like that. Totally bizarre. And then um, the concept, man. Yeah, I know. At other bits, you've just got like rats of the sky. Should have called of, it that. Should have called it that. <laughs> <laughs> but then you've just got like bits of bass coming in, and and you know stuff that's just unbelievably sort of you know beefy. As a newbie, I, I found track five, which I mean. Take a swing at it. Was it Hajnal? Hajnal, yeah. Yeah. That's a fucking good song. That was an excellent song. That, that, that I, one, that's a peak for me. That, that jumped out to me as well, yeah. Oh, James Bond feel almost the orchestration, and well, then it's like I pure, think, just pure jazzy as well. Towards I the think end. It's good. for me, it reminds me of uh, Tintin. Maybe really? it's got <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's got like a real like adventure vibe to it mm-hmm. for some reason. I, I I don't know. Like when the classical bit kicks in, it sounds kind of like I don't know. Somebody's on the top of a train <laughs> getting chased by a a bad guy, but then yeah, it's got like that jazzy yeah. beat, uh, you know, in the middle, and then it all goes mental at the end as so, well as like, usual. My favourite, my absolute favourite part of this album, though, mm-hmm. is maybe a little bit, sadly, not entirely down to his genius, if you will. But so the album title, which we can't say, and I'm just going to call it RCAS, translates effectively to Born Under a Bad Star, mm-hmm. as in, like, Cursed from Birth. Right? And I, I didn't really, I mean, as you said, it's quite a, it's quite an intense, quite a brutal album, but it's also quite a downbeat. There's, there's some pretty dark and sinister about it. No, it's so, very unsettling in places. Very yeah. unsettling so places. looking into the background of it, my absolute favourite part of this is track three. Yeah, yeah, that's, so that's crazy. The Hungarian suicide, suicide song. song. Yeah. So the cover version of the song. So I mean, again, butchering the Hungarian language. Is it Shom Shos Shomoru Vajarna? Shomoru Vasamap. I vaguely know someone Hungarian. I should have asked her in advance here. Composed by Reggio Ceres, uh, which translates as Gloomy Sunday. It's from the 30s. And it was known as the Hungarian Suicide Song. And if you if you recognise the sample, it's because it's in Schindler's List, Copious Times. Um, yeah, it's a Billie Holiday track. Yeah, well, well, Billie Holiday sample, this is made the... it famous. Yeah. yeah, she did a cover of it. Um, and apparently, so the original lyrics to this song included things like the world is ending. It was about the war and about famine and things like that. And But the lyrics were rewritten by a poet called Lajlo Javor. And he basically... I think he'd had some strife, you know how it is, and he changed the lyrics to be about a protagonist who wanted to commit suicide following his lover's death, and that was the version that became famous. So, uh, and that's when it acquired this name, you know, uh, as Suicidal Sunday or Gloomy Sunday. Well, mm. on, on this, the name translates as Suicidal Sunday, but it was also known as Sad Sunday or Gloomy Sunday from the, the Hungarian title. And apparently there were press reports in the 30s that, that attributed up to 19 suicides to that tune. Yeah, people jumping off bridges. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it was hard to verify because of when it was, but um, they, it's a bit like a downward spiral in this sense. But then there was a legend that it had been banned in Hungary to try and prevent suicides, even though most of the suicides were almost certainly to do with World War Two and the fascists encroaching and the famine and stuff. But Well, the- I've listened to that song 
quite a lot and I haven't committed suicide once. So, you know, you haven't committed suicide properly once. Well, yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, but the BBC definitely banned it uh, <clears throat> during the, the war to, uh, to help wartime morale. Let them not weep. Let them know that I'm glad to go. Death is no dream. For in death I'm caressing you. Yeah. So they well, banned, they said it's the saddest song ever written. Yeah, so. they banned... Uh, I mean, that's incredible. They banned Billy Holiday's version of it to help wartime morale. But apparently as well, just final thing that really sold me on this was that that song inspired a film which was called The Kovac Box and I think it's from 2006. And in it, the peop- there's people in the film, I don't know, it's like some kind of Manchurian thing, but they're they're implanted with a microchip that when they hear this song, it automatically makes them commit suicide. Uh-huh. Yeah. That is brilliant. I mean, that is, I've never heard of this before. And that is like, um, I mean, I liked it, but I was completely uh, on side. With the story. <laughs> Once I'd heard of it, that, that is absolutely fantastic. And I'm pretty horrendous. sure that I read that. Uh, everything, by the way, that Eastern Europe represents in my head. Just complete devaluation of human life. <laughs> Here we go. I'm pretty sure I read that uh, his, his fiancé committed suicide and that's one of the reasons why I put this on the record. No, I think it uh, was the original It was the original composer. composer's mm. fiancé. Yeah, no. Uh, it wasn't Venetian Snares, but the original composer, Beyonce, supposedly committed suicide, or the poet that rewrote it. One of those two. One of the two early guys, not yeah. the not Aaron Funk. Nobody called Aaron Funk's Beyonce would commit suicide because she'd <laughs> want to get married so she could be Miss Funk. Yeah, or Miss, Mrs. Funk. Mrs. Sorry. Funk. Ms. Funk. I'm sold on it, man. Oh, yeah. I think it's great. Yeah, it's a cool album. I'm really I'm behind it. Uh, like, I think it's, other than the fact that I think it's dated, but, you know, I listen to a lot of records that are dated, but I think there's some really, really interesting stuff going on in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad you brought it up because, yeah, the use of the classical stuff especially is really yeah. cool. And I'm so happy I found out about the Hungarian Suicide song. That's going to form so many pub <laughs> anecdotes. <laughs> and yeah, for me, it was just a record that um, inspired me a lot. It made me go searching for a lot of stuff like this. But then, funnily enough, I never just found anything quite as good as this. It's uh, it's because it wasn't about pigeons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. Turns out that's the secret. Just writing a song about, about pigeons. pigeons. Yeah. My favorite part of this record is on track seven, towards the end. I don't know any of it. I've just written the track numbers down. Uh, Muscle de Galam. Yeah, and it's like when that. when it gets really chaotic <laughs> towards the end, and yeah, it, it just sounds like Arthur D Two's been shot with a machine gun. <laughs> Yeah, it's like three and a half minutes into that, it just goes absolutely It's pure chaos, man. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. It's in my destiny going, oh my God. The world is ending, it's amazing. I know. And that madness relates to a pigeon. Yep, exactly. I know, because that's it. That song translates as second pigeon. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's at it. I suppose if if something you get a concept, I guess, I guess that's that's the worst concept you can pick. why not? I think it should go in. Mm-hmm. But I've not listened to anything else by him and I don't know very much about the genre, so my opinion is pretty much irrelevant. Seems like this is pretty unanimously his best work. Yeah, um, for me, he's the defining artist of the genre and this is his defining record of a genre that's still very niche, even if it has mm-hmm. been influential. I thought it was really interesting, so I'm I'm down with it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, uh, go and vote on our Facebook page, on our uh, internet website, uh, and you could uh, maybe tell us how to actually pronounce the record um, if you want and yeah suggest any more breakcore records that we should get into yeah because we're all woefully ignorant yeah exactly 
Next week we're doing a record I've picked. It's the first one I've picked for a while, actually. It's searching. Didn't go well last time, did it? Didn't go well last time. I was banned almost. <laughs> it's searching for a form of clarity by against me, and I'm really looking forward to it. Great. Okay, let's Great. see how that goes. Yeah. Maybe make his life as uncomfortable as it was <laughs> during the descendants. Descendants. Uh, the descendants. 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 The never descendants. The Deftones. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you. Welcome. That was a beat. <laughs>